That's my foot. Underneath my foot is the marble starting line at the ruins of the stadium of ancient Olympia. I promise this sermon is not just a vacation slideshow. That would be cruel. This photo is a pretty good summation of everything I felt for the majority of our tour around Greece. We returned from the other week. We visited several UNESCO World Heritage sites, most of them ruins of ancient Greece. And there's something about standing in the fallen rubble and the minor restorations of rocks that stood 3,000 years ago. The only phrase I can come up with to describe it is cosmic smallness. Not quite the total perspective vortex in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but pretty close. Standing midst all of that, feeling deeply all of a sudden the connections I have, not just to the people around me, but to the people who came before me. I've talked about that before, but I was really living in it in those moments. People 3,000 years before me built this loved it, improved on it. And at least half of my family comes out of that region somewhere in the Mediterranean, so who knows if some ancestor of mine generations and generations back didn't have some part to play in some of that somewhere. These are part of the ruins of the temple of Apollo at Delphi. At the heart, at the height of the Athenian golden age, when the Athenians were the primary culture of Greece, Delphi, Delphi was the spiritual heart of that culture. People would travel for miles around, for that one day a month when the oracle at Delphi was available to give you advice, to tell you about your future. No great decisions were made without consulting the oracle. In the year 390, the Byzantine Empire was on the rise. Christianity had been declared the official religion of empire. And after an earthquake had laid low a lot of the work of the buildings at Delphi, the emperor Theodosius I decided that was a sign. And he sent his people to Delphi to dismantle all of the stones that remained to take them and build a great church in a monastery on the site of the hill at Delphi at Mount Parnassus. He was determined to wipe from the earth the memory of the old gods, the memory of that part of the Greek culture. He took great pleasure in erasing the name of Apollo from that 
spiritual sight. And why did he do this? Well, I think part of the answer is another great Greek gift to all of us, the concept of hubris, the preferred character flaw of self-important people from the dawn of time. He had a truth. He had one story that he wanted to be the story, and he could not stand there to be some remnant of another story reminding people of who they might have used to have been. And so he raised it all to the ground and changed its very form to let it stand in place for his story, for the dominance of his truth. And that was true across the empire. The old gods were attempted, they attempted to erase them. Old texts were not promulgated anymore. It is almost an accident of history that we still know any of this happened, any of this was part of our history as human beings if it weren't for the monks. The monks had the old texts, and part of their work was to copy them over and over again. Not so they could sell copies of Virgil and Socrates and Plato and any of that, just because work was part of the prayer that they did. It was busy work. And through them, the texts survived. And because they survived, the stories survived, at least in part. And after a while, people started to wonder if maybe there weren't some truth behind these stories as well, not just the truth everybody was living at the time. People started to wonder if these were real places with real people. They started making educated guesses about where these places might have been. And in 1890, the excavation of the site at Delphi began. And people started to see how the holy city was laid out, where the buildings were, what the stones meant. They started to get a sense for what it was all used for. And so we have remnants standing today and some recreated because the story survived and because people wanted to know if there was any truth behind it. So much of our culture wars today are rooted in a sense of story, of whose story gets to be told of whose story gets to have primacy, of who gets to be silenced, whose voice gets to be heard in the grand story of our human existence. We see it today taking the form of book bans, of censoring classroom textbooks, of punishing teachers for daring to teach what has been forbidden in the creation of boogeymen to keep us scared, critical race theory. <sighs> and why, why do we do this? Why this effort 
to silence the voices of those who have as much a part in the human story as any of us do. Hubris. The hubris that comes from wanting my story to be the one true story. And the fear of the challenge that is presented when other stories get to have a platform as well as our own. And I think of fear of that cosmic smallness that comes when you understand yourself to be part of something larger than you could ever imagine. I can feel like a lonely place to be. And even our own community is not immune from this culture war. This was going on while I was in Greece, and I was reading all about it, and I was a little upset that I wasn't there to be present at meetings or marches or any of that stuff, but I was very happy to see that people showed up when someone in our community tried to have a book pulled from our own public library because they did not want other people to see the story, to hear the story to know that this is as much part of our human story as whatever it is their one true story was. Now, the good news is the library board had policy all about this, and it was against their policy to remove the book, so they did not. But it was also heartening to see members of our own community showing up at the library board meeting, if not to speak, to at least be present in a way that said, we're not going to allow this in our community. Censorship is not a value in our community. Hatred and mistrust is not a value in our community. People showed up. So what does that part have to do with all the stuff I said at the beginning? The span of time from the height of Delphi, from the height of what we understand as the, the Olympic pantheon of gods, and the time when Theodosius I tore it all down and tried to erase it, was about a thousand years, which is at once a long stretch of time, and yet in our sense of cosmic smallness, no time at all. The length of time it took from Theodosius tearing everything down and trying to erase it to the first attempts to excavate what had been buried, 1,500 years. Again, a long time, but also not so long in the grand span of things. The truth of the old stories remained and reemerged in part because of an accident of history. The monks were just doing their busy work, and so we kept the stories, and we kept people curious, and people eventually went looking again. It took millennia, but the truth of the human story remains. We're enamored with the thought of the arc of the moral universe, the arc of the history, bending towards justice. But here's the thing. 
If the people in our society who hold the power and the privilege had their way, that arc of history would just kind of be onwards and upwards forever and ever to the benefit of just those few people. That's where power takes things. If, if it bends towards justice at all, it is because all of our hands and all of our voices pull it in that direction continuously, a continuous effort to set things right and make sure more of the story is heard. It bends because those marginalized in our culture and those who ally with them keep pulling, keep resisting, keep resisting the erasure of other people's stories. And we're seeing that happen everywhere right now, whether we're watching school children in Tennessee take the Tennessee State House to protest the lack of response to lax gun laws, or it's the resistance people show in Florida to every ban that is happening. It's educators fighting back against censorship in their own classrooms. It's all the grand gestures of civil disobedience we see in the face of those who are trying to silence the depth and the richness of all of the stories of our human experience. And it doesn't even take the grand gesture. Sometimes it is just about the showing up just about the being present, letting your community here and now see what you stand for, see what you value, see what kind of community we all want to build together. There's no shame in welcoming other stories into the chorus of our great story. There's no shame in bringing the broken truth back together. You are loved, and so are they. There's nothing to fear in feeling cosmically small in the face of everything. Because in that smallness comes the perspective to recognize the place of your story in relativity to the place of everyone else's story. And in that perspective comes the strength to resist the silencing of all of those stories, to bend the arc toward justice, to keep the depth and the breadth of our human story unburied for now, for the people who live now, and for the people who will survive us 2,000 years from now. May it be so.